everyone and welcome to Sean and Dave Make Music. This month we bring you the second installment of our adventures in New York City. Our guest this episode is virtuosic flutist, composer, improviser, author, and inventor Robert Dick. Robert began exploring, innovating, and cataloging new sounds and techniques for the flute in the 1970s and has published several books and educational DVDs to share what he's discovered with flutists of all ages and abilities. The importance of his influence on the modern flute's sound simply can't be overstated. He's performed and taught master classes all over the world, released dozens of CDs, invented a new type of flute head joint, and received the National Flute Association's Lifetime Achievement Award. I was lucky enough to have the pleasure of studying with Robert during my time at NYU in 2009 and 10, and I certainly wouldn't be the same musician I am today without his teaching. One of the most important things he told me was that if you want things to happen, you need to make them happen. Opportunities won't often fall into your lap, and I think that's probably part of the reason this podcast exists. You can learn more about Robert and his music at robertdick.net. And if you have a chance to see him perform live, do yourself a favor and go. You'll be in for a -a one-of-a-kind experience by one of the true masters of our time. Dave and I got to catch an improvised flute and drum set performance while we were in the city, and it was just incredible. Huge thanks to Robert for taking the time and spending a few hours with us. We had such a fun time talking and making music together. Let's talk a little bit about... your recording process. We obviously touched on that a little bit earlier and you were talking about the multiple mics and things like that. Um, but I was thinking, um, can you just give us a, a general overview of what happens after you leave the room? Do you get any sort of input? Are you involved in the process of what hits the record, if there's anything left on the digital cutting room floor? Oh, yes. Um... Uh, very much so. Um, you know, it's rare that everything in a session is used. I figured. Um, um, so, we found that out too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so there may be, um, uh, you know, there's those decisions, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are we going to keep? Um, I'm I'm not big on editing it's it's generally like we'll keep it or we won't keep it mm-hmm. um, full takes uh, beginning yeah, to end yeah, yeah. Um, and so that that's extremely important um, then depending on on what the project is you know, there may be mixing to do there may not um, but I definitely want to be involved with the mixing when there is mixing. Um, and so a recent project um, that hasn't been released yet was, um, it's going to be called Solar Wind, and it was a trio of um, uh, the bassist Joel Leandre and the koto player Mia Masaoka and me. And so that, we we definitely got in there and did, did some mixing. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And also then there's the putting things into order um, often takes um, a fair amount of thinking. I think that's one of the hardest things. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, you know, it's just right there. 
Um, I've got more than one CD out that where everything was simply in the order it was recorded. Oh, that's cool. Because that was that was the, the <laughs> yeah. natural flow of the music. That's great. Um, you know, the CD um, Flutes and Voices with Tom Buckner is that. That's what happened in the studio. I think there was one thing that we both agreed wasn't quite as 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 good as the others, mm-hmm. and so it just got removed. But um, but the music was presented in the order it was it, it was created, and um, I, I couldn't think of a way to improve that. Um, then, of course, there's the um, the quest for titles. Oh my God, that was on my list too. You yes. are the master of it. creative, interesting titles. Yeah, well, among many other things, of course. But yeah, I mean, in, mo- in most of the projects I'm in, uh, titling falls to me. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, um, and, and and where do you how do you, how do they happen? Well, a lot of times. You just, it, they're just there. They're just phrases you might read. Um, they're sometimes the mistakes people make in English um, uh, produce wonderful titles. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a, a sign in a Chinese restaurant that said, Watch your steps. <laughs> there you go. There you yeah. go. There you go. I was on a train in Europe, and some, um, you know, Asian tourist uh, went through wearing a, a, a really kitschy um, sweatshirt, and on it, it said, "Gossip cats are dancing," and I thought, Fuck, <laughs> "Fucking a, that's right." <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, that just paints a hell of a picture. <laughs> Indeed, you know, um, and then. Um, there was one, uh, you know, again, I think it was a Polish person um, made a, a mistake. It, it's obvious what the guy meant, but he referred to something as broadcasted alive. <laughs> <laughs> and that, yes. And quite I an mean, image, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes you know things just sort of pop out of my mouth, and um, but it, it's more about really being observant um, to the world around around us. I mean, most people have you know these heavy filters on, absolutely, um, and um, and it's understandable because you know I mean if we if we're open to every single input or everything, it would make us. In, crazy but still you know there's a lot more happening around us often than people um you know are are paying attention to and and sometimes there's just very very cool things are happening you know in the corner of your eye and Mm -hmm. um or did i really hear that you know (laughs) um so and i i keep a file of potential titles in my computer because you know I've learned write it down they yeah. will disappear yeah yeah um, and you know at one time I thought well if they were good enough they'll come back and the ones that don't come back we can forget about but then you look but, at that list and you say oh I forgot about that one that's a good one <laughs> exactly 
<laughs> so I've, I've learned to put, put yeah. them on the list. Um, and, um, you know, there's some titles on the list that have been there for ages, and I, I wonder if they'll ever get used, but, you know, maybe they will, maybe they won't. Kind of waiting for the right thing to come along. But yeah. Fits yeah. Um, sometimes there's a title, and then I have to create the piece for it. Yeah. Presents a fun challenge. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had the title, Flames Must Not Encircle Sides. I had that for years before. One of I had my the, favorite uh, pieces to play. Before I performed it on my recital. Yeah, before I had the piece. Um, and um, it was a cooking instruction. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to say for what? Um, I remember you told me when we were when we were studying when I was studying with you, but you said ah, don't really put that out there. No, don't so, put it out. Okay. <laughs> cooking instruction for something it, mysterious. Yes, <laughs> it, it, was, it was so banal. Um, you know, so it's much better to imagine what, what the uh, cooking instruction <laughs> might be. Um, you know, and be- Beasel bub turning the roast on the spit. Now be careful of the flames and the size, boys. <laughs> <You know? laughs> First up today, we have an example of Robert's playing off of his 2017 release simply titled At. This piece is called Choose, Be Use, Blues, At Sue's, and you'll hear Robert on flute with his glissando head joint, Alfred Zimmerlin on cello, and Uli Johannes Kiekbusch on prepared piano. Thank you. 
This is probably uh, an easy question to answer, but what's your favorite part of the the process of from start to finish conceiving of an album to putting it out? I can tell you what I assume, and then you can tell me if you if I'm right. Mm. <laughs> I would guess it's the music making part, yeah. <laughs> improvising, right? Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, after all, the rest is just um, work. Well, work, but also, no, interesting. I mean, mm. how will this be presented? You know, what's the kind of direction we want to go with? And, and, and all of that. But the actual making of the music is, is really what it's all that's about. What, that's what you're doing for. You know, if, if it doesn't happen there, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, no, no liner notes are going to save it. You know? <laughs> yeah, the best album artwork isn't going to help you out. Um, right, although I, I admit I've been suckered into buying some really bad albums because of great artwork. <laughs> I can't say I've had that happen to me. I, I, I'm one of that I usually buy a lot by. Like, I'll, I'll do those bargain bin things where I'll, I'll dig around and find something that has an appealing cover and then just take the chance because it's a couple dollars and that it's been a mixed bag on results. <laughs> At least it's the bargain bin. You're not shelling out 20 bucks oh, for yeah, a gamble. No. Yeah. Cool. Um, that brings us to uh, something Dave and I were talking about uh, a little bit earlier. We were, you, we both, you know, were revisiting your albums through the past few weeks. And one thing that we were both sort of wondering, I think I had a better sense of it than Dave did because I had improvised with you before, um, is, is how improvised are they and how composed are they? There were, there were certainly some tracks where I was like, oh yeah, they're totally improvising. And then you would jam into a unison line and it'd be like, oh, okay, <laughs> what's going on here? This sounds cool. And, uh, clearly I was wrong. Well, um, again, it depends on which which project yeah. um for example um the, the most recently released cds have been totally improvised That's what um, I thought. Yeah. that was um one called are there which is um flute duos with a wonderful german flutist ulrika lentz uh and then there's raise the river which is um improvised duos with the wonderful young drummer uh, tiffany weitian chang um, and, um, you know, there was no discussion, no pre-planning, um, and, you know, with some people, when you play, you, you can feel that they're feeling the structure, you know, you, with you, mm -hmm. and, or, or we're feeling it together, and, <clears throat> and so, 
things end when they're supposed to end, you know, and, um, and which is really important. Um, and um, then um, in the music, say, with Whistle uh, Schlicht, um, there usually is, we don't do very much like totally free playing. Um, you know, all of our pieces have some kind of compositional element, and uh, which may not actually involve, you know, anything that looks like notes on a page. You know, it could just be a, a schematic um, with, you know, some verbal instructions. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's there. Um, and, um, and every one of our pieces has some more or less composition. Um, there's a, um, a piece I wrote called um, Sic Bisquitus Disintegrat, um, which means that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> <laughs> Thus, the biscuit disintegrates. Um, Much and, more eloquent than that language. Yeah, which was a line from um, some, well, some English, um, English crime novel. Um, and I'm, I, and I, I don't think it was me who was reading it. I, I, I think, yeah, it was um, an ex who was suddenly burst into laughter, and I went, "What's so funny? <laughs> <laughs> Look at this sick bisquitus dissenting." <laughs> so, um, but you know, that has a very traditional kind of head. That's, um, you know, was a head. There's a duo section, there's a piano solo, there's a, you know, bass flute and F solo, and there's an outhead. Um, um, the, the, there's a piece called Dark Matter, which um, has quite a bit of uh, talking in it, and um, I used the um, blocks of random words that people, spammers used to use to try to get through spam filters. Mm -hmm. And some of them say amazing things. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, and because it's just a machine picking words from a dictionary or mm -hmm. a word list or something, um, there are connections that are made that no, you know, sentient mind would make. And, um, you know, which is the amazing thing, you know, like yeah. nobody could think of mm -hmm. it. <clears throat> And nobody did, you know? <laughs> yeah. so, and there it is. <laughs> so, um, and and so you know what whistle plays and what I play in that piece. That all was totally improvised, but we we have the words, mm -hmm. and I'd selected um, you know a slice of of, of, of those random words, so. Um, you know, and there there is a piece also called um, 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 "Life Concert," which was another mistake somebody made in English. You know, like life yeah. concert. <laughs> well, that, that, that's really optimistic. You know? <laughs> yeah. And um, so, and there, it is a sequence of you know, kind of little musical DNA nuggets that get worked with and um and that was probably the moment where you know after all of this free playing but free playing using a, a, 
a, a set of material, um, all of a sudden we came to a unison line, yeah. which was composed because, um, you know, I, I really liked the um, North Indian influence that I had in the piece. And, and the second movement um, was built around doing things with, with uh, one of the North Indian ragas. Um, and um, so it's called The Multani Baby. And, um, and, and I do things with Multani that no Indian musician would do, which is move the tonal center. Ah. Well, you know, if you have, you know, a sitar and a tanpura and, and uh, the tabla, and you want to retune, <laughs> <laughs> you've got a major operation. It's going to take, it's going to take a, good, a good long time, you know. Um, yep. And so in the course of, you know, like a real traditional, like all-night concert, um, you know, sa will stay the same. The ragas will change of course, and the music will change enormously, and it will feel, you know, it'll have the effect of changing keys um, just done a different way, but I thought, well, here we are playing on these chromatic instruments. Um, why not actually move the, the tonic around in, in a way that was sort of analogous to, you know, chord changes? Um, and, you know, I... I have almost no chord changes at all in any of my music, um, and um, that's, I was the the worst theory student ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I failed tonal theory twice in in, in college. Um, I just didn't get it. Well. I don't think you needed it. <laughs> I think you learned to play to your strengths in a very effective way. So. Well, uh, yeah, in a way, you're going to feel like, all right, you know, yeah. we'll work around that. Uh. Next up, we have an improvisation from our session. This is the second one we did together, and it features Robert and myself both on flute and Dave on a percussion setup consisting of a tin can and some flasks partially filled with water. This one opens up with a really cool motive utilizing Robert's patented glissando head joint, which allows him to bend pitches and transpose his flute in really striking ways that are not possible on a standard head joint. And in case you're wondering at any point during the episode, Robert's flute is going to be panned to the left for all of our improvisations, and I'll be panned to the right. Thank <laughs> you. 
Composing before you learned theory? Um, kind of. I composed just a little bit in high school. Okay. Because that's something um, that, that I ran into a wall when I started doing theory. I had been 
writing whatever I wanted. It was nice and free, and I didn't follow any so-called classical rules. And then I got into theory class, and parallel fifths can't happen. And, you know, <laughs> all these things that I bristled out about the fact that there were rules at all. And I said, there shouldn't be any rules. And she said, well, they're guidelines, but you have to follow them right now. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a, those rules apply to a particular genre. If you want to sound like Bach. And yeah. if you want to operate in that genre, which um, is still the dominant one. I mean, everywhere we, you know, most of the music we hear around us is tonal music with functional harmony. Of, of one one sort or another, um, so the thing is that the the foundational you know essence of tonality you know if you strip it down to its irreducible minimum, it's going to be five one <laughs> you know and Five goes to one. Now, if you don't hear it that way, all of the other rules that are, you know, the edifice that's constructed on top of yeah. that just become this irrational, bizarre, Byzantine thing, which was kind of where I was at. And, um, and you know, when I learned the, about the frequency ratios, like, okay... All right, all right, so it's three to one. Okay, I can, on some molecular level, five actually does go to one. So I could accept that, you know, conditionally. <laughs> <laughs> Begrudgingly. <laughs> Begrudging, well, it's like, okay, it can happen. You know, it can happen. I'm not going to kick up a fuss. You know, it's not like it, I feel it, like it shouldn't be allowed. But, but as you said, you know, I mean, parallel fifths sound really nice. Yeah. Um, and um, especially if you're playing punk music, <laughs> well, yeah. you can't do it without them. Anything with yeah. a power chord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and you know, there was all that Gregorian chanting and all of them. I mean, yep. it was nothing but parallel fifths. Um, <clears throat> so. You know, it's it's a sound that people have loved and used in many forms. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes in classes, I, I I play the same little phrase in parallel fifths and say, now, you know, it all depends at the volume level that that was played at and what happens next, because we can do it like this. And there's, you know, amen, and it's all mm -hmm. gentle. Or we can do it like this, and there's, boom, yeah. and it's Metallica, <laughs> you know. <Yeah>. So, <laughs> yep. You know, um, <clears throat> and it was exactly the same phrase. So, um, yeah, there's a lot more that that goes into it, and I think um, it's interesting. The, I don't know the simplicity and the complexity that can get put together and and in particularly i'm thinking about the music that i make and the different styles of music that i make i love to play what we played today and be totally free and and atonal and um and then i make you know rather simple diatonic well i mean i always make it at least a little bit interesting tonally i think but but very tonal 
ska music that deals more with groove and, you know, the harmonies and things like that. Um, and they both just really speak to me. Sure. What kind of, what's your, what are your listening habits like these days? What have you been, what have you been listening to? Do you listen to that same kind of mix of really intense atonal music and then also get down to some simple tonal groovy um, things too? Well, the, the stuff I've listened to most in the last few years has been a collection of recordings made in Africa in the uh, 1950s. There was a guy um, who took a recording caravan into the bush and he really knew how to relate to, um, you know, uh, these folks. Um, Isolated people. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, whose contact with uh, Europeans generally had been bad news. Um, and, and yet he really understood... And, you know, he said, there's this wonderful little quote, and it's, it's in all of the CDs, there's like 25 of them. He said, you know, um, master musicians around the world, um, regardless of their race, um, economic condition, um, society, are all, all seem to be members of a particular guild and can be detected in their bearing. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, so. and so, you know, somehow, you know, they understood him, he understood them, and um, they're, they're on a label called SWP, Sharp Wood Productions, which is um, in, in um, the Netherlands. And it's, I think it's it's either swp.com or .org, but it's easy enough to find. Cool. Um, absolutely amazing stuff. I mean, and it's um, is it one CD per group of musicians or well, the same it, group? It's, it's a CD. CDs? Like one of them might say, you know, Southern Gambia, you know, 1952, 1954. Mm -hmm. Another one would say, you know. Uh, royal court music of Uganda, you know, and in fact, it's one of the only extant um, uh, recordings of that music because all of those people were wiped out by Idi Amin, um, and so you know the music itself was eradicated. Yeah. Um, and do they sound very diverse from CD to CD? Oh yeah, enormous. Figured. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean. Things none of us would ever think of. You know? <laughs> and as uh, far as tonal versus non-tonal, well, it's it's more that? in between. <laughs> it's modal more than tonal. Um, I mean, the Africans didn't really work with much functional harmony, but then there's all that you know marimba kind of stuff, which um, yeah. certainly has um, tonal aspects. Center, yeah. And then. Um, and the textures, you know, or yeah, yeah, and you know, I listen to various um, musicians who've inspired me over the years. Um, you know, who I keep 
I revisit periodically. I've been revisiting Steve Vai lately. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I really think uh, Alien Love Secrets is one of the all-time great rock albums. And, I'm not um, familiar with that one. Pardon? I'm not familiar with that one. I haven't oh, listened to I, much Vi. I have to brush up. I listened to a lot of Vi in high school. That was uh -huh. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that means that there will be, you know, there's a kind of powdered detrius of memory in the, you know, yeah. lower pockets of your mind. But you might want to actually hear yeah. the music <laughs> again. Yeah. Um, and um, so there, powdered detrius of memory. Yeah. Hey. Write, write yes. that one down. Right. <laughs> Mark it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so um, that, and, and the Ultra Zone is also really in, incredible music. Um, and, you know, I, I, for quite a while I was very into George Harrison, and now I'm, you know, letting the Brownian motion, I'll, I'll come back to him at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, Louis Armstrong was very important to me, uh, as was Miles Davis. All right, so this next track is another one that we improvised together, but unfortunately we're going to have to present it in an incomplete form, which I'm sure you can tell I'm really happy about. Um, it was originally me on flute, Robert on bass flute, and Dave on bass guitar, but our brilliant idiot of a recording engineer, me, neglected to arm the bass track when recording, so Dave's part didn't get picked up. And since the bass was going directly into the board and not into an amp, we didn't capture any of his sound at all. Maybe one day we can fire me and get a real engineer. That would be really nice. Um, but anyway, we still wanted to post the track because we think it's a really interesting piece and it's enjoyable to listen to. But if you hear it and think, hmm, this would sound even better with one more instrument, you're not crazy. You can just be jealous, I guess, that Robert, Dave, and I are the only people in the world who will have gotten to experience the magic of this one in its complete form. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
perfect for parthenogenesis. classical music and I almost never listen to classical flute playing um, you know there are actually a couple of people who have something to say um, absolutely um, but not many I must admit I don't listen to any classical flute players either no um, well for example one of my favorite classical flute players is uh, Michael Faust um, who you know nobody's ever heard of um he's um you know his day gig is he's principal flute in one of the big german radio orchestras and you know he's looking forward to the day where he can leave the orchestra um but on the other hand as day gigs go it's not been a bad one <laughs> um, and um um but he's really got something to say um and then there's uh, Hans Udo Heinzmann, Heinzmann um, who loves the music from the very, very, very late. There, there's that moment where late Romanticism and the birth of atonalism, you know, kind of washed into mm -hmm. each other. There wasn't a clear line at, at all. And, um, you know, and he plays the music from that, that period so well and, and with such a depth of feeling. And um, 
but you know, for you know, I, I go to flute conventions because it's part of my business landscape. But I have to say, I, I actually attend very few of the concerts because I don't really care how anybody plays the flute <laughs> anymore. You know, it's like, you know, I, I know how to do that. And, and, and I know that, um, you know, and I know other people do too. So, um, and uh, so just the fact that somebody plays the flute especially well you know, which can be very impressive when you're 13 or 14, um, you know, doesn't really have any meaning now. And, and it's like, you know, when I'm, if I go, it's because I see that there's music I'm interested in that will be played, mm-hmm. um, not because I want, there's a flute player I want to hear. It's been a long time since, you know, it's almost like, like this is somebody you just really, really have to hear, mm-hmm. no matter what they're playing. Um, so that may happen again. Um, well, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's, I, I hope. there's a young, there's a very young flute player who I think is going to make, um, you know, major musical statements. Um, her name is Emma Resmini. And um, I, I think there's an, an extraordinary depth of t- talent there. And um, I'm waiting until Emma loses patience with, you know, playing the notes on the page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, I hope we get more interesting flutists as your, your uh, you know, inspirational teaching techniques have seeped through my generation and mm-hmm. outward to our students. You know, you, you were a really important force in my musical development and, and you helped me break break those chains of you know what I was supposed to sound like mm. and uh, and I appreciate that and I've been trying to to pass that on to my students if they well, come in t- and play an etude and it sounds like what it looks like on the page I say no make it interesting <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, what is it supposed to say yeah I mean it's it's uh, we we're starting as you know, players of so, the so-called orchestral instruments, our tradition starts us at an enormous musical deficit. You know, we don't get started zero. We get to start at about like minus 280 <laughs> um, because there's this given that note-perfect playing is necessary. And... You know, that stems from the very long period of time when conductors had the power to hire and fire. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could have been playing, you know, in this orchestra for 15 years and conductor hears someone else, he likes better, you're out there in. And so the idea of doing something that anybody could objectively say was wrong now, you know, three people may play the same phrase, may play it completely accurately, and, you know, you might say, well, you know, the second person had some soul in that that I didn't hear with the other two. Um, but if asked to quantify that, it'd be not so doable. 
you know, the, the, the subjective response, where had the third person played a B-flat instead of a B-natural, that's an objective okay. thing. You know, one could say, well, you know, there was something wrong there. Um, and so giving, you know, anyone the opportunity to objectively say, well, he was flat, or made mistakes, or, mm -hmm. you know, his rhythm was a little, you know, not so clear, um, that could lead to your loss of, you know, livelihood. So, you know, this fear um, and, uh, and putting, you know, the notes on the page as the primary value. The other thing, of course, was that, you know, if you have a bunch of really questioning musical intellects, well, you know, most people become troublemakers. They have opinions. They might not actually agree with what a conductor, you know. Um, <laughs> and um, so, and again, being a troublemaker would just get your ass thrown out of your job. So, um, and, and so it was, you know, the training was to be able to exquisitely realize someone else's vision. And then when you're left to your own yeah. power, you know, it, it's essentially just treading water. Um, and, well, you know, that was never artistically, you know, satisfying or, or meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, but at one time it might have been fiscally viable, but it's not fiscally viable anymore. Not in the least. No, because, you know, good playing, really good playing, is uh, sampled, you know, and um, I've been fooled. I thought I was hearing someone play the flute, and it was actually somebody playing samples, flute mm -hmm. samples on a keyboard. Yeah. Thought, Holy smokes, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's reasonable to say that I know a lot about the flute sound, and even I've been fooled. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so you better be playing something that a computer can't do yet. <laughs> well, the thing, yeah. Well, the thing that the computer, the thing that cannot be sampled, is the personality. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, they can't put you on a keyboard, um, and and so it's more important than ever to actually play with a distinct personality and a musical point of view, and, you know, which means you know, having one and learning how to have one because you know, nobody is born understanding Mozart. Nobody is born understanding three-chord rock and roll. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, we learn these languages of music by hearing them. I mean, that's the great thing about music. Um, the languages are self-teaching if you just listen. Yeah. Um, and it'll take more than one listen. No, I remember when I was really a little kid and I, you know, borrowed my mother's, you know, classical piano 78s. There was something about them that made me want to hear them, but I had no idea what was going on. Not a clue. And um, when I was in high school and I showed up for a flute lesson and um, my, my teacher who had been a you know classical orchestra guy, hmm. um, a piccolo player, he said, you know, 
I was listening to WNYC yesterday, and they had this flute player on who was the strangest, weirdest flute player I have ever heard in my life. Um, I admit it, I, I don't have a clue. As to what, I did not understand this music at all. <laughs> but I have the strongest feeling there's something really real there. And I wrote his name down for you. It was Severino Gazzaloni. Um, and the next day I stopped off at the Lincoln Center Record Library on the way home from school. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, they had that record. Um, I don't know if Gazzaloni had played live on, in the studio or mm -hmm. not, but there was one record of con him playing contemporary music. Um, and it was on uh, Earl Brown's label. And um, I remember, okay, put it on the turntable. And I didn't have a clue either. I mean, not a clue. This was the first recording of Sequenza. Ah. And I had no idea how to follow this music. <laughs> um, you know, it was different from anything I'd ever heard before. but. You know, and I, and I made up names for some of the sounds, you know. I mean, really lame, you know, because like the washing machine sound, the mashing <laughs> sound, uh, remember? And, and, but there was something that made me want to hear it more. Um, and so, you know, eventually that, some of that music became quite important to me. Um, and um, I recorded Sequenza many years after Gazzaloni did. Um, so it's through listening, and, and, and sometimes through listening you realize, like, you know, that really sucks. <laughs> 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 that, that has, you know, that's, and, 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 and it's so important to be able to have a, a point of view. Now, you know, there's a famous quote from um, William Kincaid, who was a legendary, you know, flute teacher, where, you know, some student um, said something about, but, you know, this piece isn't all that good. And Kincaid would say, if you want to be a critic, get a typewriter. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I find it, in a way, kind of humanizing you know, that this iconic figure could say something so incredibly stupid. Um, I mean, it's true if you're playing in an orchestra or you're playing in a band and it's not your band, and there's this tune or this piece that you don't particularly like, but it's part of the gig, so you're going to play the living bejesus out of it as best you can anyway. But knowing that it's a piece of shit is important, <laughs> you know, and not convincing yourself that it's great music, because by doing so, you're destroying your own musical sensibility. It's like, okay, okay. Um, That's a really interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing this. We're doing this. We're doing this. Okay. And I'm going to do it as best I can because I'm a professional and, you know, that's out of respect, you know, to music itself, 
and to me, frankly, too, and all the other musicians here who are trying hard, you know, to turn this piece of crap into something. And, you know. <laughs> With open eyes, I'm going to polish this turret into something worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but we know that it's that. So then, you know, at the next gig where we're going to do a flat-out masterpiece, we know it's a masterpiece. Yeah. And and we're also going to do our best to play the living bejesus out of it. But, you know, it's going to give us things that the trite music couldn't possibly do. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, when um, I met Steve Lacey, who was a, a, a big influence for me, um, and Steve was talking once about how when he lived in New York, he was really poor was really scuffling. And I said, well, Steve, didn't you like do studio work and stuff like that? And he said, oh, you know, those guys, they called me all the time. So I was the only soprano sax, sax player in New York. And um, I, I turned them all down. And, you know, this was totally contrary to the ethos I've been raised up in, which you know, when there is a gig, thou shalt snap too. <laughs> You know. Why a rectangular piece of paper um, <laughs> with numbers on it? Too small in truth, but some numbers. So, um, and Steve looked at me, and he kind of, you know, mimicked putting his saxophone in his mouth, and he said, "What comes out goes in." Nice. And it was true. I mean, Steve did not want to pollute his musicality by, by, by playing commercial garbage. And he was willing to pay the price for that. And um, unfortunately, you know, there's very little in life that doesn't have a price tag <laughs> of some nature attached to it. Um, and, um, you know, having followed a creative pathway um, it's been uh, the price has been high. You know, I could have earned a tremendous amount more money doing you know non-creative things. I'm sure we all could have. For our last track, we're going to present the first track that we improvised together at our session. Robert's on bass flute again for this one. I'm on flute and Dave is on djembe. This is the least rhythmically active of the three improvisations we did, but I think it has probably the most cohesive form, and I really like how we traded our ideas around on this one. I think we did a good job of speaking one another's languages. Robert and I used a lot of airy sounds like residual tones and whisper tones, and Dave was able to mimic these by sort of swirling his hands on the head of the drum, which you'll hear towards the beginning of the piece. Robert and I also used several percussive flute techniques to connect and communicate with Dave's more standard drum sound.
there's one thing I was curious about that, uh, this is not like a, not a huge in-depth question, but it was just specifically about the album with the, um, the at symbol that you did. Um, Wait, the album with what? Or the at, like, um, the, the a, I don't know what it's called. Oh, at. The, yes. at yeah. Yeah. Um, how did that one come together? Like compositionally? I know you, uh, was that all f- like, to what degree oh, was that planned? Cause well, I mean, there's the, so much going on there. It the was trio, the trio, um, which was um, DKZ, which is simply Dick, uh, and then um, Kikbush, Uli Johannes Kikbush, the pianist, mm-hmm. and Alfred Zimmerlin, the cellist. Um, we had been playing, you know, improvised concerts together. Um, Alfred and I had, had been playing in a group together called Oscuro Luminosa, and uh, Uli and I had been playing some duo concerts, and um, we realized that having, you know, Alfred join us and make a trio, that it was clearly a, 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 the, the thing to do. Yeah. And so the trio played a lot. And there was only one piece on that whole album that, that had a compositional plan, which was the first piece, which was, you know, right. basically riffing on the Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach um, the first movement of his um, solo flute partita. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest was that was all just improvisations. It's awesome. I mean, um, it's <laughs> just the degree to which you guys were of one mind in it. The mm-hmm. way it flows is brilliant. Well, it's just, yeah, it's astounding the shapes yeah. that you, you had on on that album and, and on the um, "Are You There" as well. I, I was blown away by mm-hmm. both of those. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. Particularly, yeah. yeah. Well, it's the listening. You know, it's really. The, the main thing is really listening and not thinking about yourself. You know, I mean, to concentrate on the, the music. I mean, the worst thing you can possibly think about is yourself. And, and, um, and we've, every one of us has been caught in that moment when we realize we are on a desert island with ourselves. <laughs> and we were in the music just a minute ago, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, you know, like, how do we get back? Yeah. Um, and, and generally it's by starting to sing, really sing in your mind. Um, get that little voice in your head doing the music, not making words. Yeah. Um, and, um, but that was a very powerful um, concentration that that was happening. That was all that 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 I believe that that CD was made in one afternoon. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's all in the preparation. Yeah, and it sounds like you guys did plenty of playing together long before it to yes. really find your yes. Yeah. Um, and like the um, the contrabass flute CD that was all made in one morning. Um, we started at 11, we were done by like um, 1, 1, 1.30. Um, I have never been as tired. <laughs> when I got home, I, I've never been as tired. It wow. was not just the, the sheer physicalness yeah. of it, but just the mental. That was the best solo improvising I'd ever recorded. And, you know my mind went into gears that I didn't know it had. (laughs) And then they they felt it afterwards. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Um, You then went home and slept for 48 hours. (laughs) No, no, not quite. um, I went home and 
drank a bottle of wine and mm-hmm. um, and, and vegged watching some stupid sports show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't I have no idea, I have no memory if it was a. It was probably the tennis channel. That was that's my my favorite veg. <laughs> like watching the tennis channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. Uh, oh, yeah. One other thing I was going to say. Um, I, I'm sort of of the opinion that some instruments are inherently better than others, <laughs> and I think the flute is one of the one of the best. Um, I'm, I'm obviously biased, but but no. I, <laughs> but I really think that there are so many tonal possibilities on the flute, and and I was wondering, are, are you of that opinion? Do you think the flute is one, really one of the best instruments? I, I think it's 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 one of the most personal. I mean, any wind instrument, I think. Is, is more personal. You're interacting with it in a, you know, it's coming out of you literally. Yeah. Um, you're not dragging something across a string or hitting something. But um, I think flute, since it's so free and obviously you don't have a mouthpiece that's defining your sound. Well, ultimately, you know, instruments don't make music. People do. And, and if the person is playing an instrument that you know, she or he has a real affinity with, then it's the best instrument. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, That's why I asked. Interesting. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I don't think, um, you know, like, is an instrument better or... or, or I think what I think one? of with better um, is, is, is po- tonal possibilities and well, you know, sonic, yeah. I mean, for example... Variety. You know, the electric guitar with all the various accoutrements that it can have, you know, has like a staggering tonal range. And yet, you know, it still sounds like the guitar. Um, And in the hands of somebody who is naturally a guitarist, it's the best instrument. Um, There's a reason that it's not in my hands, um, because... It's not my natural voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the flute is. Uh, why? I have no idea, but it just is. And I knew that from the first moment I played it. Um, I gave my first concert the first day I played the flute. When my, my father came home from work, I set up two chairs and sat my parents <laughs> down and excitedly played, you know, Book one, page one of the Rubag <laughs> Elementary Method, <laughs> volume one. <laughs> and, um, you know, I couldn't have expressed it, but I knew I'd found it. Um, I think I had a similar experience. When I, I tried out instruments when I was in fourth grade and nothing clicked, and, and the my teacher who was guiding me through the process said, you know, you really don't have the right lip shape for the flute. I, I, I don't think this is going to work. Don't feel bad if it doesn't, if it doesn't happen. And then I picked it up and it just went, Doot, and it, yeah. it, it clicked and it yeah. fit. Well, as your former teacher, let me say your, your lip shape is just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working on it, trying to, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, but you know, don't, mean, don't let that creep away the bat, maybe the whole time. <laughs> Um, you know, I should have been playing um, pump organ. You know, but <laughs> <laughs> he was a big guy, and he said, you know, I could train my whole life to be the world's best jockey, 
but <laughs> I just wouldn't be able to cut it. And and the mm. same might be true for you. And I was like, that's yeah. kind of heavy to tell a fourth grader, but okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a third yeah. grader, even. I think I was in well, third grade. Which, you know, maybe good a good thing to close on is that, you know, so many, much of the time, the focus is on problems instead of potential. You know, if, if that guy had actually really, really, really wanted to be a jockey, he might have had to take himself to, you know, Africa somewhere and ridden a goddamn hippo. <laughs> <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> you know, there's always a way. Yeah. There's always a way, and and um, you know, a very big part of the classical music culture, uh, you know, which where many attitude, very powerful attitudes, are never put into words, but clearly communicated. You know, if there could be a problem, don't touch it. It's like, oh, come on, man. Of course there are going to be problems, and we'll solve them. You know, I mean, it can't possibly be interesting if there aren't some problems along, <laughs> along, along the way. I mean, yeah. you know, if we're going to go to new places, we're going to have to figure some things out. So, um, and we will, um, whether it's easy or hard. But, you know, when a focus on what could actually be done or what we're dreaming that could happen um, or even just knowing like well beyond where we've gone there's something I don't know where it is what's there but I want to go there you know and see and um, instead of you know like well you know Theobald Bame didn't do this <laughs> so well, maybe I shouldn't either um, and you know one of the best flute teacher I ever met um, was Thomas Nyfinger, and I mean, by magnitudes, the best. And we didn't like each other uh, at, at all. Hmm. And um, from the first moment we saw each other, now, first of all, he did not audition me. I went to music school as a composer, and in the second year, I decided, you know, it's time to play for somebody again. So I just signed up <laughs> for, you know, my half hour lesson as a flute minor mm -hmm. and so patoink there I was you know and um, and he looked at me and he saw an unreliable flaky pot smoking hippie and he was right and I looked at him and I saw this uptight professional locked in the prison of his own rules and I was right so, I mean, we both saw each other very clearly, and neither cared for what he saw, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but Tom had a, um, a very powerful sense of duty, you know. He was going to impart the information. He had no obligation to be nice about it, but, but he was certainly going to impart the information, which he did, and it was ex extremely important. Um, but one lesson, and there weren't that many, but... Out of the blue, he says to me, you know what the problem between guys like you and guys like me is? And I swear, in my head, what I heard was, whoop, 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 dive, dive, battle stations, dive, whoop, whoop, whoop. 
you know, um, I was busy trying to get the goddamn torpedo doors open. Uh, and, um, and then he said it perfectly and with so, so articulately. He said, you know, all my life I've been searching for the limits. And you come along and go, limits? What the <laughs> fuck for? <laughs> That's our problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know. Well, it sounds like it wasn't a problem. That no. Was, yeah, it was a, well, what you needed at the time and worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, you know, it didn't, it didn't change my pathway, <laughs> but I, I understood a little more about his conservatism, but I just thought, you know, but why? I mean, what are we actually conserving? You know, if you try something, you know, new, you haven't lost something old. You learn something new, yeah. something old doesn't fall out the back of your head. I mean, <laughs> that's happening just by itself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so... Why not? It's where the you know the joy in life is is you know living, and um, and 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 trying to keep changing. And so you know who knows? Maybe I'll be doing a ska project one of these days. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Call you up and say, Sean. I really need a musical director for this one. <laughs> I'll be there. Don't worry. <laughs> You've got my number. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. This was really uh, a treat for us yeah, both to you. talk to you and to play, play with you today. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. I'm glad. Thank you so much for listening to Sean and Dave Make Music this month. If you like what you heard today, please head over to robertdick.net to find out more about Robert. You can also find his music on iTunes, Google, Amazon, pretty much anywhere you buy music online. If you like our show, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends and colleagues if you think any of them might enjoy music and talking. If you have any questions or comments or would like to submit a prompt for us to improvise off of, please send us an email at seananddavemakemusic at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash music. One more quick note of thanks. As I said up top, this was the second episode we recorded from New York City. Got to give another huge thank you to Barb for letting us use her beautiful space to make this happen. This trip would have been a logistical nightmare without you, and we really appreciate it. Also, shout out to Dan Pardo, who helped us connect with Barb. If you haven't done so already, go check out his YouTube show. It's called Pardo's Turn. He analyzes a different song from the musical theater canon, then discusses it and performs it with a different musical guest each week. That's right, I said each week, not month. Way to make us look bad, Dan. But in all seriousness, it's a fantastic show, and Dan is going to be our guest on next month's episode. So now that you're all caught up with Sean and Dave Make Music, you can head over to Pardo's Turn and familiarize yourself with Dan to help get you excited about next month. See you then. Okay. Take two, five, three, two, one. Bye, Hotel. <laughs> <laughs>